And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. Some difficulty lies in this chapter because it's dealing with our relationship to the law. Uh, It's a difficult theological issue. Paul uses the word law 19 times in this chapter, so it's pretty evident that is his theme. Uh, In this chapter, he expounds on his statement from about a half a chapter earlier, that's Romans 6, 14, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law. You're under grace. But that you are not under law is kind of what he's addressing in chapter 7. Uh, in verses 15 through 23 of chapter 6, he used the analogy of slavery to show that we're not going to keep on sinning uh, under grace because we have now become enslaved to God, enslaved to righteousness. Now in chapter 7, he explains what it means to be from free from the law and how that relates to breaking free from sin's tyranny. The theme in chapter 6 was sin. Paul used that word 17 times there. Now in Paul's mind, there is a very direct correlation between sin and the law. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 56. He says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. That's where Sin derives its power is from the law. So there are several parallels between chapter 6 and chapter 7. Uh, believers have died to sin, that's 6-2, and they have died to the law, that's 7-4. We have been freed from sin, that's 6-18 and 22, and we have been released from the law, that's 7-6. We walk in newness of life, according to 6.4, and now we serve in newness of spirit. That's 7.6. Our victory over sin is tied to our union with Christ in His death and resurrection. That's 6.8-11. Our release from the law and its sin-arousing power is because we are now joined to the crucified and risen Lord. That's 7-4. So if we want to gain consistent victory over sin, we've got to wrestle with Romans 7. As Paul explains the purpose of God's law and our relationship to it. Now his thinking would have been radically opposed to the common Jewish views of his day. They would have said that the law was given to make us holy. And at first blush, we may think that as well. Paul says that the law actually served to arouse our sin. Sounds nefarious, doesn't it? In chapters 1 through 5, Paul shows that it's impossible to be justified by keeping the law. You cannot do it. Here he shows that it's impossible to be sanctified by keeping the law. Sanctified is is simply a a biblical word that means to be uh, holy, okay? To to every day look more like Jesus. That's sanctification. It's a process that goes on during our entire Christian life. In fact, um, Paul actually argues that the law is a hindrance to sanctification, Now, this chapter falls into three uh, major sections. In verses 1 through 6, Paul shows that we are no longer married to the law. 
A death has taken place, and now we are joined to Jesus Christ for the purpose of bearing fruit to God. But that raises the question, then is the law sin? And Paul answers this in verses 7 through 12. He shows that the law is holy, the law is good, the law is righteous. It's we who are the problem. It's not the law. When our sinful nature comes into contact with the law, it does not obey. Rather, it's aroused or incited to sin. Then in uh, the last uh, half of the chapter there, verses 13 through 25, he shows us the ensuing battle that sinners have with the law. Now, this is that controversial section that I was talking about because debate rages over whether the person in view, the, one, the person that Paul is actually talking about, is he an unbeliever? Is he a believer? Is he a Jew? Is he an immature believer versus a mature believer? Man, man, oh man. We're going to try to tackle that when we get to it. I have my personal beliefs and I'll let you know what I think. But I'm actually going to put them all out there. Because from the time of the church on, there have been great men of God who have held different views on that question. All right, just warn you there. That's still a couple of weeks away. In our text today, verses 1 through 6, Paul first makes a general statement about the law's jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. Now that's in verse 1. Then in verses 2 and 3, he illustrates his point by showing that a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. Now, he's not giving a comprehensive teaching here about divorce and remarriage. That is not his aim. He's using an analogy to make a point. The law has jurisdiction over the living, not over the dead. If a person dies, he is no longer under the law. And then in verse 4, he applies the point, showing that we have in fact died to the law through the death of Christ. We are now remarried to Christ so that we might bear fruit for God. Then in verses 5 through 6, Paul explains verse 4 that we just talked about, both negatively and positively. First, he says we need to die to the law because it actually arouses our sinful passions to bear fruit unto death. That's pretty negative, isn't it? <laughs> That's verse 5. But in verse 6, Christ has been, or uh, in Christ, we have been released from the bondage of the law so that we serve God in the newness of the Spirit. That's verse 6. So to summarize, through our union with Christ, we have died to the law so that we are free to bear fruit for God in the Spirit. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Let's, let's pray. Father, I'm just asking for Your assistance once again, that Your Holy Spirit would lead us, that He would guide us into this truth, help us to see it, and not only to see it, but to embrace it, Father, that it would make a difference in our lives when it comes time to uh, deal with sin. Law has so much to do with it. So God, give us Your insight, give us Your wisdom, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Only a couple major points here. Number one, through our union with Christ... We have died to the law, which only produces sin and death. Now, many books have been written on what it means to not, for us to not be under the law as believers, so I can only give some guidelines here. 
Uh, I'm going to offer one negative and three positive thoughts on uh, what it means when Paul says that we have died to the law. So A, this is kind of the negative side. Dying to the law does not mean that we are free from specific moral commandments. We need to understand that we did not die to the law so that we could live lawlessly. We've talked about this before. And, you know, doing whatever we please. We would call that antinomianism against the law. That's not what Paul's talking about here. That was the false charge. And Paul talks about this back in, I want to say it was chapter 5, against him. That people were saying, well, this is what you're saying. He goes, you haven't been listening. He says, may it never be. Your, Your judgment is deserved. That's what he tells them. Uh, Paul makes it very clear that we have died to the law so that we might be joined to Christ under His authority. Now, biblically, women, you are under the authority of your husband. That's coming from the Bible, so don't write me any nasty notes. Likewise, believers, we are under the authority of God's Word. But when, he, but when we died to the law, it was not so that we could become just somehow free spirits. Rather, it's so that we could now be joined to Christ as our husband. Paul's analogy is rather confusing if you try to make it say more than he intended. In verses 2 and 3, the woman's husband dies so that she is now free to remarry. But in the application that we see in verse 4, it's not the husband that dies... Rather, it's the wife who dies to the law through Christ. Now, by implication, she is then raised from the dead so that she can marry Christ who died and was raised from the dead. But Paul doesn't intend this to be a a tight allegory where one thing consistently represents another. He's simply making the main point that by being identified with Christ in His death and resurrection, we died to the law so that legally now we are free to be joined to Christ. But dying to the law doesn't mean that we are no longer obligated to keep specific moral commandments. As Paul states later in, in, in Romans 8, 4, the requirement of the law is now fulfill, fulfilled in us as we walk according to the Spirit. Sometimes it's argued that the only commandment under the new covenant is love. Have you ever heard that? That's, that's all we got to do is love. Uh, we get that from Romans 13, 8. Uh, 13.10 and Galatians 5.14 talking about the fact that the law is fulfilled in love. But this is often misapplied in a really simplistic way so that love means whatever the, the, the person speaking wants it to mean. For example, a couple may argue that it's okay for them to have sexual relations outside of their marriage because they love each other. So because we, love, we just do whatever we want regarding sex. The New Testament is abundantly clear. The, the sexual relationship is resti- restricted to heterosexual marriage. Love does not mean that we are free to disregard uh, the Bible's moral standards. In fact, the New Testament gives some pretty detailed commands concerning love. Love speaks the truth. Love does not steal. Rather, it labors so as to be able to give. 
Love speaks wholesome, edifying words. Love is not bitter. Love is not angry. Love is kind and forgiving. Love doesn't engage in immorality or greed. Going all the way back to Jesus, Jesus says, if you love me, can anybody finish the rest of that verse? Keep my commandments. So being, <laughs> being released from the law doesn't mean we do whatever we want to do. Now there are many more, and you know this, specific commands in the New Testament that are given to believers who, according to Paul, have died to the law. So we'd be mistaken to think that to die to the law frees us from the obligation to obey specific moral commandments. So what does it mean? Well, we've got three here. B, dying to the law means that we are free from the demands of the law as an impersonal system for approaching God. While salvation has always been by grace, through faith, not by works, many who were under the Mosaic law wrongly thought that they could be right with God by keeping the law. And it was true. Keep the law perfectly and you will live. The problem is, that system brought everyone who tried to live by it under a curse because no one can keep the law perfectly. No one but Jesus. As a Pharisee, Paul thought that he was blameless. He even says in his scripture, blameless according to the law. But at best, he was blameless only in the sense of outward obedience to the ceremonies and the rituals that the law prescribed. The truth was that in his heart, he was proud of his blameless obedience. And as we know, pride is the heart of all sin before God. When he met Christ, Paul came to see that he was actually, he called himself the chief of sinners. So dying to the law does not, uh, it, it means that we do not approach God by this impersonal system of performance where we try to earn right standing before Him. Now that's nothing new to most of us, right? Salvation is by grace, uh, by grace through faith and not of works. We, we understand that. But do you understand that that is the way of virtually every religion in the world, including many that go under the banner of Christian? The good news is that God justifies sinners by grace through faith alone and that the core of saving faith is to know Jesus Christ. In His high priestly prayer there in chapter 17 of John, uh, third verse, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's the essence of eternal life, knowing God and knowing His Son. Now, as I said, Paul's point in Romans 7 is not only that we are justified by grace through faith alone, but also that we are sanctified in the same way. Well, see, dying to the law means that we are free from the condemnation of the law. Man, oh man. Paul says in verse 6 that the law held us captive. It did so by putting us under a curse because of our failure, failure to obey it perfectly. Peter, he refers to the law as a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. The law closes every mouth. 
It makes us all accountable to God. No one is able to be justified by keeping the law. Rather, the law brings the knowledge of sin, and that puts us under the wrath of God. The law increases our transgressions. It held us under the reign of sin and death. So attempting to be right with God by law-keeping, it is doomed to failure. The only benefit of the law with regard to salvation is it shows us God's impossible standard of holiness. And when we get a view of that, we are driven to Christ as our only hope because He is the only one that lived a holy life. And that way we can be justified by faith in what Christ did. Well, D, dying to the law means that we are free from the inability of the law to produce obedience. We talked about this earlier in chapter 5. This is Paul's primary focus focus in verse 5. He says, For while we were living in the flesh, okay, he's talking about before Christ, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members, in our body, to bear fruit to death. Remember what Paul says back in, what is it, uh, 623? The wages of sin is what? Death. That's where sin leads. Now, as I said, in this context, being in the flesh, that means before we were saved, before we received the Holy Spirit. Thomas Schreiner puts it this way. He says, the law apart from the Spirit does not produce obedience. The law apart from the Spirit does not save, but kills. End quote. Paul's going to explain this further in our next section, verses 7 through 11. That, that's where he says that coveting was not a problem until he read, You shall not covet. That commandment triggered something in him that made him covet all over the place. And the, as I said, the problem was not with the law. The law is holy, the law is good. The problem is in his and our sinful flesh. Now, we can relate to what uh, he's saying here. I wouldn't even think about walking on the grass if it weren't for that little pesky sign that said, do not walk on the grass. That commandment makes me want to walk on the grass. So the law is not the answer to our sin problem. Trying to keep the law can never reconcile us to a holy God because we've all violated His law many times. Posting a list of God's commandments on the refrigerator and trying to keep them through your own power, that's not going to work either. But as I said, the law simply incites our sinful passions. The oldness of the letter, according to Paul, was a ministry of death. He says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We need a more powerful solution. And Paul gives us a glimpse of this in verses 4 and 6. Paul says that we died to the law through the body of Christ. That's verse 4. That's kind of an unusual phrase referring to Christ's physical body. I think Paul is calling attention to the fact that in His human body, Jesus satisfied the demands of the law on our behalf. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul says he canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. 
So when Jesus died to the demands of the law, we died in Him. Now in summary, this means that we are free from the demands of the law as this impersonal system for approaching God. You cannot do it. We're also free from the condemnation of the law. Chapter 8 is going to start that way. There is therefore now no condemnation to him who is in Christ Jesus. But also the power of the law to arouse our sinful passions, it has been broken because we are now joined to Christ and we have the Holy Spirit. This is the first time that he's mentioning the Holy Spirit in our battle against sin. Well, number two, having died to the law, we are now joined to Jesus Christ, which produces fruit for God in the Spirit. As I said, God doesn't free us from the law so that we can live any way that we please. Rather, He frees us from the law so that we may belong to another, to Him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. And what that intimates is that outside of Christ, we can bear no fruit, outside of being joined with Him. What does He say in John 15? I am the, I am the vine, you are the branches. Um, apart from Me, you can do nothing. Restating it in a slightly different way in verse 6, he says, This release from the law enables, to, enables us to serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Again, referring to the law. So our union with the risen Savior through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit works in us to bear fruit for God. Now I'm going to just quickly talk about six things Concerning our union, our marriage to Christ. A, our union with Christ is a transforming relationship. In verse 6, six Paul uses the same contrast that we saw back in 6.22. He says, but now. And we talked about that. Have you ever had a but now in your life? We see a bunch of but nows. And when it's followed by something that God does, it's almost always a good thing. It points to the great change from before we met Christ to afterward. Before we met Him, we were in the flesh. We were enslaved to sin. We were under the condemnation and the power of the law. Verse 6, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. If If I have broken the law and I'm facing a prison term, but before I actually go to prison, I die, they're not going to take my corpse to prison. My death released me from the power of the law. It changed everything. Also, our death to the law freed us now to be joined in marriage to the risen Christ. That's what verse 4 tells us. This implies that we have new life in Him because, guess what? Jesus doesn't marry a corpse. (laughs) We have a new relationship of love with our bridegroom who gave Himself on the cross to secure us as His bride. Our new union with Christ changes everything. Now, there's one, one thing certain about marriage. It changes you forever. Can I get an amen? Men and women. We understand this. Suddenly you are not your own. You have to think about your wife before you make plans. 
You have to think about what pleases her. You have to take her into account in every decision that you make. You have to work at staying close to her in your relationship. But in spite of these new, let's call them responsibilities, I can say with gusto that marrying Debbie changed me for the good. Well, in the same way, being joined to Jesus Christ changes everything. It does give you new responsibilities, but it transforms you decidedly for the good. Well, B, our union with Christ, it's a love relationship. As I said, the phrase, through the body of Christ, that points to the cross. That's where Jesus died that horrible death to secure us as His bride. He paid the price that the law demanded for our sin. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. So now, we willingly submit to Him, not out of duty, but out of love. Picture a woman married to a demanding, perfectionistic man. He's the kind who takes a white glove and goes to the, the windowsills and the, over the door and, and wipes to see if it's been dusted. Well, she lives in constant fear that she's not going to make, not going to please him. But then, kind of to her relief, uh, he dies. Sometime later, she meets a loving, kind, caring man. They fall in love. They get married. Now she still cleans the house with the diligence she did before. She still cooks the meals in the same way. But now she does it out of love, not dutifully to meet the demands of an impossible tyrant. Now, the, the analogy here breaks down in that the law did not die. Rather, we died to it. But we no longer have to strive in vain to meet its impossible demands as the grounds of our acceptance with God. Rather, Christ met those demands for us and we are joined to Him in love. We still live to please Him, but our motive has changed from duty that condemned us to love that accepts us. What a difference. We'll see our union with Christ. It's a liberating relationship. Before, we were bound by the law, but now we are released from its condemnation and its domination. The picture is that of a prisoner who has been set free. Now, I've never been in prison as a prisoner. I've been in prisons before. I'm going to one in a week or two. But I've never been in prison because I'm a prisoner. You understand? But I kind of got a feel for what it was like when I was in boot camp. How many of you have ever been in boot camp? Doesn't matter which one, right? The military determines your schedule, your activities, what you wear, what you look like, what you eat, even when you can speak, right? It is a type of prison. Well, before Christ, we were bound by the law. It was our captor, but now we are free. We have died to it. Well, D, our union with Christ is a fruitful relationship. The reason that we are joined to Christ is so that we might bear fruit for God. That's verse 4. When you compare that to verse 6, so that we serve in the newness of the Spirit, it is probably referring to the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, that they become more manifest. When you squeeze a Christian, what is supposed to come out? 
Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. You know those nine fruit that He lists. Those are supposed to come out when we get squeezed. When you get squeezed, what comes out of you? Man, oh man, what a question. Woo. It could refer to the fruit of the light, which Paul talks about in Ephesians 5. He says that that is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. If you are not bearing fruit for God, then you are not fulfilling the purpose for which He saved you. Well, E is our union with Christ is a powerful relationship. We're going to get more into this in chapter 8, but the law, it was impotent when it comes to helping us obey the law. But the Holy Spirit, Spirit it indwells us and now empowers us to overcome sin. Now, to be under the law is to be in the flesh, according to verse 5. That has no motivation or power to overcome sin. But the Spirit enables us to put to death the deeds of the flesh so that we will live. Well, lastly, if our union with Christ is a holy relationship. Now, I mentioned this at the outset, that being free from the law does not mean that we are free to disobey the moral commandments of Scripture. But I mention it again at the close simply because it is so often misunderstood or even ignored. Now, the word serve there in verse 6 this morning is the same Greek word translated enslaved to God in chapter 6, verse 22. So Christ frees us from the law to which we were bound, but not to do as we please. We're freed from the law so that we can now be enslaved to God in the newness of the Spirit. We talked about that. That's the major theme, I think, of chapter 6, is you're always, remember the Bob Dylan? You're, you're, you're going to serve somebody. you got to serve somebody. You're going to serve sin or you're going to serve God. Well, being a slave of righteousness is true freedom. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, you are either a Christian or not a Christian. You cannot be partly Christian. You're either dead or alive. You're either born or not born. Becoming a Christian is not a gradual process. There is nothing indeterminate about it. We either are or we are not Christian. End quote. Again, you're in Adam, you're in Christ. There's no mixing those two. If you're not a Christian, you are under the condemnation of the law. In that state where you to meet God today, you would be condemned forever. But if you put your trust in Christ, who bore the curse of the law, you were then released from the law, and join to a loving husband so that you can now bear fruit for God. That's even better than the best earthly marriages have to offer. Being married to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You again for Your Word. It challenges us uh, every time we open it if we just pay attention. Father, You are continuing, continually transforming us into the image of Your Son, uh, Father, and we fight that, conf that, 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 that process 
And Lord, it's part of our sin nature. So I pray that this morning that you would break through by the power of your Holy Spirit to reveal yourself to those that do not know you, that do not know you savingly, Father. They know maybe who you are, or they think they do, but they do not do not know you intimately. They do not know your Son, Jesus Christ. Do a work in their heart this morning. Give them courage, Father, to trust in your Son, Jesus. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we've been talking in, in terms of believers and our relationship to the law. Uh, but the truth is, uh, just as I, I said in my prayer, there's some of you out here who do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're lost. You're not in much of a battle when it comes to the law <laughs> because you, you have no problem doing whatever you want against the law. That's part of being away from God. There's that alienation, that hostility towards Him. That can all end today. It can end. Uh, you can have your sin take away, taken away. The guilt for that sin removed. You simply have to trust Jesus Christ. You ask God to forgive you of your sins because you are a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I encourage you today, turn from your sin, ask God to forgive you of your sins, trust in what Jesus did on the cross. He came, He was born, we talked about that, right? The incarnation for the purpose of dying for our sins. John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Have you trusted in Christ to do that for you? I encourage you to do it today. If you're a believer, I hope that you've just... I don't know, got a little, bit of, a little bit of help from what we've talked about from the Scripture and what is said concerning the law and our relationship to it. We are now dead to the law so that we obey the law out of love for Christ, not out of duty. If you're obeying the law simply out of duty, Paul says in Romans chapter 13, that is actually sin. For whatever is not of faith is sin. You need, to, you need to be dutiful. You need to obey. It's like Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. So I'll challenge you with that this morning as believers. Do you, obey, do you love Christ? And is it visible? Would people look at your life and go, yep, he loves Christ. He's doing the things. He's living a godly life. He's seeking God. All those things. I hope that's where you're at in your walk with Christ. If it's not, turn to Him, even as a believer, right? Ask Him to forgive you. He'll, he'll welcome you right How many remember the prodigal son? He'll take you right back and just love you to death. I encourage you to do it. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.